Welcome to the Barfly Podcast Season 2. My name is Jeff Burkhart, Barfly columnist for the Marin IJ and author of the book 20 Years Behind Bars and its newly released sequel, 20 Years Behind Bars, Volume 2, Parole Denied. Today, my co-host is Kevin Blum, Community Director for the online review site, Yelp. Welcome, Kevin. So don't worry about tomorrow, take it for today, forget about the chat, we'll get hell to pay, have a drink on me. We're here today with Pam Colon from UCSF now, former restaurant employee, now on the front lines against the coronavirus. How you doing, Pam? I'm a little tired, but hanging in there. So uh, you you started in the restaurant industry, and, and about a year ago, you went into uh, respiratory therapy. A year and a half ago, actually. Did you ever envision that you'd be on the front lines against a, a pandemic? No, <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would be a little tough, but uh, this is one thing I didn't foresee. I don't think any of us foresaw that. But, you know, there's an old adage in the restaurant business that uh, uh, that we're not saving lives in the restaurants. But you yes. really are saving lives in the in respiratory therapy. We definitely are. Pam, you went from front of the house to the front lines. So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> what what exactly are you seeing? I mean, what what are what what are you doing on a day to day basis? Because respiratory therapy is is directly linked to the coronavirus. Yes. Um, yes. So right now we're kind of preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. The hospital is eerily quiet. They've stopped all elective surgeries. They've cleared out a lot of certain floors in preparation. So there's no visitors anymore. So it's it's a little bit quiet, but it's starting to ramp up. We're getting a little bit more um, rule out patients, uh, the patients that we're testing to see whether they have the virus or not. We have a little more positive patients that are showing up in our ICUs that are a little bit more um, critically ill. We're ordering, I think we have 60 uh, mechanical ventilators in-house, and we just ordered another 40 more. And a lot of it has been training. Um, They're training us how to properly put on our our PPE, which is our personalized protective equipment. We're doing it in a different way than we've done before in the past, just to be safe and make sure that we're protected. So what is that? I mean, what exactly is your, your protective gear? What are you wearing? I will say this, after seeing some things online, it's not as, it doesn't look as safe as what they have in China and South Korea. Basically, um, we kind of have a, a yellow gown that is open in the back. <laughs> I don't know if they think viruses only come through the front and don't come through the back, but <laughs> it's open in the back. We have a bunch of different things to protect us from airborne infectious diseases, uh, one being the N95 mask, which is probably the blue mask that you've been seeing online and in the news. Those masks were fit tested for, so they kind of spray different things with different size masks to see if we could smell it. And as long as we can't smell it, then that means we're protected against airborne diseases. That's why we were a little angry that all these people, <clears throat> regular people, were ordering these masks when you don't even know if it's actually effective for you. People with beards have to wear what's known as the papper, which is those helmet type uh, equipment that you see with the big shields and it blows air in so that anything that even gets in, it actually blows it right back out. Yeah, the one that kind of looks like a spacesuit sort of thing. Yes, yes. So um, for respiratory, if we're giving any treatments or they're on certain equipment, we have to wear that papper no matter what, because we're right there where they're breathing out what could be like an aerosolized virus. Because you're leaning right over them. Because essentially uh, what you do is is insert tubes into people's... Yes. So we um, we are part of the team that intubates patients if they if they need a higher level of care. So we are at the head of the bed. We are we call it bagging, but we're really ventilating with a with an ambu bag. 
So we're, we're basically pushing air in and out of their, um, their airway. Once we get them stabilized, we help the doctor, we'll insert the tube, we help stabilize the tube, we connect them to the ventilator. It, we also suction. So there's a little suction catheter that is attached to that tube. So we are going down their airway and, and because now they can't, they can't um, get their secretions up, we're actually helping them. We pull it out through this suction catheter. So people with coronavirus obviously have respiratory difficulties and so there's, they're, they're congested, and so you're helping them breathe. We're helping them breathe, and we're helping them clear out their airway, yes. And with the ventilator, we're kind of either protecting their lungs, um, depending on the state that they're in, which with coronavirus, their lungs get very fibrotic. So we have to manage the ventilator to make sure that we're not causing more damage. We just have to kind of watch all of their, their numbers and see where their lung compliance is at. And we either kind of go down on settings, or as they're getting better, we go up on settings. But you are actually seeing patients with coronavirus. Uh, yes, yes. I actually have a patient tonight, I was told. so. And so what, what, uh, as far as, as visibly demonstrating symptoms, what do you see personally? For me, because I haven't been in the, um, in the ED, I'm seeing them more because I'm in the ICU. So I'm seeing them more when we're either kind of like escalating care. So I'm seeing them more when we're in, they're intubated. So they're kind of sedated or paralyzed. So I'm not really seeing symptoms except for what's going on with my ventilator where they're kind of peak pressuring because their lungs are stiff. But my friends who are in the ED, the emergency room, they're kind of seeing just more like flu-like symptoms, people coming in short of breath or gasping for breath, not being able to maintain their, um, their saturations, which is their oxygen levels in their body. A normal saturation is 92% and up. We're seeing people that are coming in with like 80 to 85, which means that they're not able to get air into their lungs which means their red blood cells are not able to grab the oxygen to deliver it to their tissues. So when you say short of breath, Pam, I'm, I'm curious about that because I'm trying to think about the times in my life where I've been short of breath, like if I'm you know, climbing up a mountain or something like that and mm-hmm. realize, okay, I'm out of shape. Are we talking about just you know, walking from you know, down the hallway from like the bedroom to the living room and suddenly you're short of breath or how severe it, is this? it? It's, um, it's varying. So for an, a healthier adult, it may feel like they kind of just like ran when they, they just got up out of bed. For you know our population that's elderly or has um, other diseases such as COPD or emphysema or you know um, lung diseases, they it will be almost like you got punched in the chest. I don't know if you've ever gotten punched in the chest or the stomach really hard, and you're like you just can't get that breath in. That's kind of what they're feeling. You know, we're hearing a lot about uh, the hospitals being overwhelmed or on the verge of being overwhelmed with patients. Are, are there really, are you seeing that many patients or? Um, we are, we are not right now. Um, I got to tell you, I'm so excited that I actually chose UCSF or they chose me to work there because we started putting things in place way before the government even did because they this hospital is a teaching hospital and they've been through pandemics before. So like they just jumped on it. We started training uh, in January for, for this possible situation so we started really um, clearing out the hospital, getting things ready. They started training us like well over a month ago on different things that may happen in different situations. So right now the, the, the hospital is on the quiet side, but it is starting. We're, we're starting to feel it. We're getting more and more people through the emergency room with symptoms. We're testing a lot more people because we actually have the tests available and we're get, the turnover is, is now quicker than it was before. So we're, we're starting to see a lot more cases. I believe they, they said uh, California is about two to three weeks behind the East Coast 
So as you see, like they're really ramping up. And I know um, just talking to friends at home that their hospitals are starting to get overwhelmed. We'll be there probably within like two to three weeks time, I think. And, and back home is Jersey, right? Yes, in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. In your estimation, we are going to get to a point where you are overwhelmed there. I'm hoping with all the training at UCSF, we won't be. But a lot of hospitals that aren't prepared, as prepared as UCSF, probably will be. Or if they have a smaller population, what will happen, a lot of the smaller hospitals that can't manage patients, they do send them to us. So as we get a little crowded and then they start to fill up and they can't manage pa- patients, they'll get sent to us. So it's, it, yeah, it's a possibility. I'm hoping that we because we put this day in place so early that that will kind of help us, fingers crossed. It's also fascinating to think you guys were preparing for this in January. In January, there are a lot of people who were claiming that, that, that this wasn't even really happening. Exactly. So that's, that's, that's interesting to see that, that the hospital took it upon itself to, to get way ahead of the curve. Yeah. I mean, they've seen it before. They've been through it before. So when, when, when did they go through it before? Um, the, when they had like the swine flu, the Ebola virus, they all talk about um, when, when HIV AIDS hits, how overwhelmed, uh, especially in San Francisco, how overwhelmed the hospital was. And, you know, they just, they didn't know, they didn't really have treatments. I think it took like two years before they even came up with like the first possible vaccine. And they were just, yeah, they were just overwhelmed. So a lot of the older therapists are talking about like that situation and, and preparing for this. Are you concerned? Uh, I mean, you must be concerned about getting it yourself. It's interesting. I said to uh, a coworker as I was leaving my shift early this morning, I said, oh, I said, I just, they just moved a positive patient into my unit. And she just kind of shook her head. She's like, girl, we're probably all going to get this. And I was like, well, at least we're in it together. So mm. we're all trying to maintain healthy diets and just trying to get sleep as best as we can so that if we wind up getting it, we're not really down and out for for that long, just because we need to take care of people. For a certain group of the population, it is quite serious. But in general, it I mean, if you're healthy, you should do okay with it. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Um, I mean, I don't want to say definitely. It depends. Right. Um, but yeah. Oh, it's an opinion. I'm just yeah, asking Yeah, it's opinion. kind of... Um, it's because it attacks the respiratory system and your lungs. If you have relatively healthy lungs, you should be able to overcome your, your, if you look at the numbers, I'm on like CDC and who like websites all the time. And you see that a lot more people are kind of like getting over it than dying from it. But those are the healthier people, the people that are, you know, what you're seeing going on in Italy is because a lot of their population is older and they're, they're heavy duty smokers in Italy. So that's why I think they have a higher death rate. Interesting. Than some uh, other countries. Then another reason why not to smoke. I also hear uh, vaping is also a big uh, culprit as well. Yeah, so they're noticing that a lot more younger people are getting it, and the ones that are uh, becoming more critically ill are the the younger generation that are vaping. So another reason not to vape. Vaping is essentially just liqu- liquefying a, an oil and putting it in your lungs. Yeah, right? and it's anything that you inhale through your lungs that's not supposed to be there. Your body kind of triggers an immune system and it starts sending out all these receptors to kind of break down that toxin. And if you keep doing that over and over again, it's just, it's hard for your body to keep up with that. So eventually those things are going to affect your lungs. Wow. So this is a kind of a, kind of a a scary time in in a lot of ways, but uh, I mean, is your gut feeling that we're going to get through this? Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I keep saying, everybody's like, Oh, like in your professional opinion, how long do you think this will last? I think it's going to be at least six months before it's kind of gone. But I think it's kind of going to be like the flu where they're going to develop a vaccine and we'll have to get that, you know, every year, just like the flu shot. 
So when you tie it back, uh, if we can, uh, sort of in a, a weird way, tie it back to restaurants and bars. And obviously there are a lot of closures right now, at least in California, all bars and restaurants are closed, the exception of delivery and takeout and curbside service. What should people like, if and when they do reopen bars, what should bar owners be doing to uh, maintain safety uh, precautions? And what should patrons be doing to make sure that they don't get infected and all that good stuff? The big thing that I noticed, I was a bartender for 26 years. The big thing that I noticed, which is different from my job now and the restaurant business, in the restaurant business, you know, you don't get paid. If you're sick, a lot of people don't have insurance. And a lot of owners, not that they don't care, but they're so overwhelmed or short-staffed or they're busy that they don't really promote you staying home when you're sick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's a big thing. Like if we have so much as a sniffle at work, everybody's like, oh, you know, you're sick, either wear a mask or go home. So that's the big thing that I would see where I would beg restaurant owners that if somebody comes in and they're, they're coughing or they're sick, either get them a mask and have them constantly wash their hands or let them go home. It's okay. Rather them go home than get your, your customers sick. Do you think there's going to be a change that 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 people are going to say, hey, well, you know, you, you can't go home if you don't have any money. So then paid sick time becomes a very important thing. I sure hope so. We'll see. That's that's fingers crossed, because, you know, you would think it in the time while it's going on that that would be the issue. But then, you know, everybody goes back to their normal lives and they kind of forget about things. So I'm, I'm hoping that this being as big as it is, that it does carry over. Ideally, that we will learn from this because... I mean, if you look at numbers like with the the Spanish flu pandemic, there were a million people dying a month Mm -hmm. while that thing was going on. This is nothing like that. And, you know, it's probably just a matter of time before something that contagious does come along. The idea being that maybe if we have good health practices up front or like with you guys at UCSF, you've been through it. You know how to do it. If we if we keep that diligence up, then uh, we should be better the next time it hits. Right. And the big thing is just just being prepared. Like I know a lot more restaurants I was reading were putting enhanced hand sanitizer in uh, more parts of the restaurant. Just having some restaurants I worked at, like they would have a sink, but they wouldn't even have the soap filled. Do you know what I mean? So like just having, just being more aware of that, that is important would be helpful. Yeah. It is kind of shocking in this day and age that you have to tell people to wash their hands. (laughs) You know, sometimes we need a little wake up call to get that done. Right. But that goes customers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because they could, they could spread it. You know, we're touching their dirty forks and knives and glasses. Yeah. It would be helpful if everybody just did. It's not just people who work in the restaurant. Please join us next time when we welcome restaurant owners to talk about how they're dealing with COVID-19. My name is Jeff Burkhardt. Thanks for listening. Have a drink.